So many weird things contain plastic. Tea bags, chewing gum, and period products. And that's what we're delving into on today's episode. You know, people are living with embarrassment or shame or living with no products at all, so they actually can't leave the house. So they're missing school, they're missing work. That's not the way that we should be living in the 21st century. Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast, an environmental podcast going... What's going on? And how can we do things better? Today we are looking at periods. Very excited that today's guest is Celia Poole, co-founder of Dame. Celia and her co-founder wanted to create a more sustainable option for people on their period. They have organic cotton in their tampons. The wrappers are 100% plastic free and biodegradable, made from cellulose that's been sourced responsibly. The wrappers compost along with the tampons and they also have reusable applicators. We are gonna get into some new studies around surprising statistics to do with plastics and periods. There is a giveaway for Dame at the end of this episode, so make sure you listen till the end. Here's Celia Poole, co-founder of Dame on the Age of Plastic podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on the Age of Plastic podcast from our collective little booths at home. (laughs) Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Now, you are the co-founder of Dame, and we're talking about this survey that you've put out there, which I thought was quite surprising, but maybe knowing everything I do about plastic, it's not unsurprising. But apparently, more than 8 in 10 women underestimate the amount of plastic in a typical period pad. We are talking at the end of Plastic Free July. Uh, Celia, why do you think women are still underestimating the amount of plastic in their period pads? Well, I think you've just got to look at the topic that we're looking at. You know, it's periods. It's traditionally something which people either are too shameful to talk about or directly just try to avert from. So it's no wonder people aren't really engaging with the subject because we've been taught by advertisers, by culture to really ignore this subject. And so, yeah, it's no surprise to me that that people still are not really aware of what's going on. Yeah. And I suppose that's where this all comes in with this education, the reason that we're speaking today. But first off, um, tell us for people who don't know how and why Dame are different. Uh, So Dame is a business that I co-founded with my business partner, Alec, and we do sustainable period products. And we're all about offering people a whole range of products to really suit their life, all the way from organic disposable tampons through to the most reusable products so you can get things like pads period pants um, and we're about to launch a cup so really making sure that everyone can be as sustainable as they can on their period yeah and it's all sort of you you definitely take sustainability through everything from the wood pulp that's used in the biodegradable cellulose um, so the wrappers are completely compostable, organic cotton um, in the tampons as well. Um, why did you decide to get into the world of periods? <laughs> if, that, if that's the industry, we can even say you're in. <laughs> we can. And yeah, it was definitely not something if you'd asked me when I was at school, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> I would have laughed or cringed. Um, no, for me, it really came from a feminist angle. I got to a stage in my career where I realised that the next thing I wanted to do was to do something that helped women. Um, And I had no idea what it was. And it was actually sort of like a chance encounter with my now co-founder, who is one of those deliciously nosy people, where Mm. we got talking about this subject. And 
I really didn't like the way that we still viewed periods, the fact that people still shoved tampons up their sleeve when they went to the loo. And, and it was, it was seen in such a negative light. And so that's really the sort of entry point that we came in. But actually when we started really digging into it, we saw that actually there were so many bigger problems. The fact that these products are so filled with plastic and synthetics and the implications that that have not only on the environment, which is obvious, but actually on our bodies was huge. And that was the thing that really propelled me. You know, I suddenly started realizing, wow, so many people think about what they put in their mouths, but people are not thinking about what they're putting either in or near their vaginas, a really incredibly absorbent part of their body. And that was the thing where we thought, okay, right, there, there's got to be something better and we can be the people to do it. Yeah. And how much plastic is there in period pads for people who are possibly listening to this and unaware? Oh my God, huge. It's literally sort of up to 90% of the pad alone, excluding the packaging. Is Which plastic. seems mad because plastic isn't absorbent material and yet this absorbent thing is so much plastic. I know, but you only need to kind of like comprehend you know when you put that thing there it feels like you're rustling a plastic bag in between your legs so no wonder it's made of plastic and you know Mm. I remember when I was young and first started using pads because you know that's what most teenage girls are given so uncomfortable oh just so demoralizing it just Mm. made you feel rubbish and as soon as someone showed me a tampon I jumped onto that straight away but actually I'm now realizing since coming back and really using reusable pads, which are made of you know organic cotton and are really soft and and wonderful, that actually it's the plastic that's the problem, not the pad. Hmm. Yeah, you're taking me back to my teenage years when I was just always paranoid that someone would be able to see through my skirt or my trousers at school. Oh my gosh! Or even when you're in the loo cubicle and you were trying to undo the wrapper really quietly, and you're like. And you're like, who cares what anyone else hears? But, you know, you're just so paranoid about it. And that's because as a society, as a culture, we've been told to be ashamed about it. We've been told to be embarrassed about it. And and that's something at Dame that we really strive to reverse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's been a long time. I've been using reusables for quite a while now. And yeah, just remembering that discomfort is something I'd actually forgotten about, even (laughs) though I've talked about period plastic on this podcast before with Ella Dare, who we might get onto in a second. Um, But I wanted to touch on education. That is what we're here to discuss and promote today. You've actually got an offer at the moment, don't you, at Dame, if people haven't actually tried your products before? Yeah, because we realise, you know, one of the biggest things to, to jumping on to organic or reusables is fear of whether it's going to work which we know it does and fear of like that entry-level price point and you know we're in a cost of living crisis right now we realize it's really tough for a lot of people so we want to do what we can to help people and show them not only can we give you a much better experience for not only the planet and your body but also you know long term a lot of these products save you money so as a result of that, we're offering people six free months of tampons wow. um, when they sign up with us to really show them like this, this will help you. You will like this. You will stick with that confident in it that we're going to give six months away for free because we know this is something that you will love once you try it. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'll put more details in the show notes wherever you're listening today. But I want to touch on applicators because this is quite a big thing. They are often single use items. You do have applicators with some Dame products. Um, Why is that? For applicators, it's purely because 
again, we live in, in this country in a society where we're not really comfortable with touching our own blood. And so we have been taught to use applicators and these applicators that we've been using, again, the majority of them are plastic and they are touching the body for about two seconds and then thrown away. And cumulatively, when you think of the amount of people in this country alone who use applicators every month, that is a mountain of waste that is piling up and is completely unnecessary. So we decided rather than use on average, it's about 11,000 of these in your lifetime. Why don't you use just one? And for our applicator, it's exactly the same kind of process. It's so simple, but all you do is rinse it under cold water after you've done it and reuse it. We've added in antimicrobial particles, which is sort of naturally occurring polymers, which means that it's sort of essentially self-sanitizing. So if you're worried about the hygiene issue, you don't have to be because we've got something working really hard to make sure that it's cleaning it for you. And it's just changing that tiny little habit so that someone can actually hugely reduce the amount of plastic that they're producing. I love that. What was that science again? Self-cleaning what? (laughs) (laughs) Self-sanitizing polymers. Wow. Okay. I'll be going down a wormhole Googling (laughs) those later. Yeah. Um, Also, I know you've touched on this, Dame, as well. Like there are reasons that some of these um, uh, products exist um, for people with disabilities, for example. It's not just the cultural um, and societal pressures. And I think once we have these things, we don't tend to go backwards once we maybe if we are using them not because we have a disability, but we've got used to using products in certain ways. And I suppose this is the thing we have to have options for everyone. It's not like, right, that's it. No more. Um, pads where everyone's has to use a cup now like that's just not viable is it we have to have more sustainable options for everyone for whichever way they prefer to use their period products right exactly and that's the thing is every woman's body or every person's body is made up differently and you do need different products for it me personally I use different products throughout my cycle so there are some times when I'm being more active that I want to use a certain type of product or I've got a lighter flow or a heavier flow So it's definitely not one size fits all. It's so important to have optionality in this category and make sure that people do have access to more sustainable products so they don't have to keep using disposables just because they think that's the only thing available. Yeah. And I wanted to touch on something that's happened this month in Plastic Free July, the big plastic counts. We've talked to the organiser of this, uh, Dan Webb from Everyday Plastic. He's done this one this year with um, Greenpeace um, and Everyday Plastic coming together. Households in the UK collectively throw away almost 100 billion pieces of plastic every year. Now, were you shocked by this? Oh, my God, it just makes you feel sick, doesn't it? But it's, um, you know, I find when I'm at home, I've got three small kids we try to reuse and and reduce the amount of plastic that we use but regardless of that plastic still finds its way into your home the whole time and it's incredibly difficult difficult for the consumer these days to try and avoid it we have to make sure that we keep applying pressure to the businesses who are selling these products to make sure that we're making conscientious consumer choices vote with your wallet that is the biggest way to make change you know if you don't like the fact that your thing always comes in a disposable carton try and see if you can reuse it all those little messages all make their way back up the chain um and make sure that we don't have to constantly be throwing away stuff the other thing which i 
know is like such an incredible thing is is all these secondhand markets like eBay. Yes. eBay for me is just like the god, like always like go in there, click on condition used and just see all these incredible things which people are passing on or not using anymore, which means that you can dramatically reduce all the kind of plastic and all the all the waste that you've got coming through. Yeah, it's such a good tip, isn't it? I always search all of those secondhand resale sites before I even consider. I, I I need a bike helmet. I bought a brand, almost brand new one, barely used secondhand this morning. So yeah, it's such such a great tip. And I always think it's so difficult to avoid plastic. Um, I always find it's especially difficult for family. So if you've got three kids, like, yeah, I don't, I don't have any kids. My Mine's coming from my mum. She just brings things into my house in plastic. And I'm like, what am I to do with this now? <laughs> yeah, I think everyone has, don't you, with that like surface in your kitchen where just things appear on it. And you're like, yeah. oh, I didn't even bring this in here. How is I this put this Ziploc bag in. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to get rid of it. Exactly. I've got to be washing this out and reusing it as much as I possibly can. <laughs> Um, and I suppose uh, when, when it comes to where Dame is, it's becoming more and more available in different places. Are you able to have those kind of conversations with the with the bigger retailers who maybe are also, you know, the producers and sellers of lots of this plastic? How do those conversations go if you're having them? Yes, it is really exciting that we are growing and we're managing to get in, into sort of more and more retail spaces, grow our direct consumer business. Um, and with that, enabling us to have some kind of power. I think what we've done previously, because we're a B Corp, um, and we tried to join together yes. with other B Corp companies to you were create- You from day one, weren't you? We were from day one. It wow. was something which we discovered uh, years ago and it just felt so right. And it felt like such a good thing for us as we were growing our business to have as our rudder, essentially. Every time we needed to make a decision, we knew that we were making a decision because it was better not only for you know, our bottom line, but it was also better for our customers, better for the planet. Um, so it really kind of kept us on course with everything that we did. But having that collective power of the other B Corps mean that we could go to retailers and have those kind of conversations. It means that we can go and put a full page spread that we did in the Evening Standard when we found out that mm -hmm. the government was doing the free period products in schools, but wasn't giving it to any kind of sustainable period brands yeah. you know we put a big um guerrilla style letter out to the government saying look you've got to change this you can't do this and it's only by doing things collectively and making sure that you can do that can you get change from the top And as I mentioned, Plastic Free July has come up a lot already in this conversation, but we're also seeing record-breaking heat and fires, not only in the UK, across Europe. Drought in Somalia that's been going on for two years. Two years, it's not rained there. But we also have a cost-of-living crisis at the moment. We're seeing zero-waste shops reportedly closing at alarming rates. So I wanted to ask you, do you think sustainable businesses suffer more when people are struggling economically? Yes, hands down. I think it's a real knee-jerk reaction to go back to what we know. But I think this is where sustainable business sustainable businesses will never do well as long as they are incredibly more expensive than other businesses. Like it work out ways which we can even that out. And the way that we can do that is obviously as you grow and you scale, you get better economies of scale you get better distribution, everything works. So it's about making sure that we can get these businesses who are so early in their genesis 
out beyond that choppy water and into the smooth sailing so that, that we can reap the benefits from it. That relies on a lot of, well, obviously support from consumers who are getting behind them, but obviously a lot of support from investment, from retailers, um, from everyone along the chain. Because only when we can start to make these companies comparative to the other businesses out there and comparative to other products so that the consumer doesn't make have to make that choice. Mm. That's when we can start to see fundamental change. And we won't start to see this really um, roller coaster effect of the way people are buying. You know, they will say that just before Christmas, <laughs> sustainability takes a nosedive as people just go and pile into shops. I haven't got time. I'm buying the plastic toy for my nephew. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas, you know, people don't intrinsically want to do that. Um, You know, they spent the other 11 months of the year being good. So it's just, we need to give a bit more support and breath to those companies in the early stages so that we don't find it so up and down the way we're seeing it. And we don't find that as soon as we see cost of living crisis, that everything runs away, you know, for our products in particular, yes, there is a bigger upfront cost to those reusable products, but those reusable products save you hundreds of pounds mm. over time once you've bought them. You know, yeah. that is a win-win for everyone, not just in this country, but in developing countries as well. But we need to make sure that we can get that messaging across. We need to make sure that we can work out ways that people can get access to these products. And that is all, you know, for us, that's working with bigger organizations, working with government, working with bigger education campaigns so that we can get those messages out there. Yeah, and I suppose this, my next question is kind of leading on from what you've just finished up on there. I mean, plastic is a fossil fuel. We're using more and more plastic, I think more this decade than the last, which seems incredible. Um, But with, all of your knowledge of the industry and consumers and sustainability, what incentives or regulation would you like to see brought in to curb our plastic use? What do you think is going to be most helpful? Oh, my gosh, I would love so much to come. <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How long do you have? Um, I, there's... First of all, I fundamentally believe that there's something that there's a broken, if you want to call it business model, wrong with our lives. We're increasingly told that by having smartphones, by having internet and email and all these other incredible communication tools that we can have more leisure time. But we don't. We end up being increasingly more busy. I feel that we're more busier now than we were last decade and the decade before. And we're more connected. And it's and therefore, in order to do that, we don't have time to cook for ourselves we don't have time to do the many other things which mean that we have to end up going out and buying that sandwich yeah from, convenience from the local convenience store that we end up having to buy that drink or buy the snack or or do these other things and actually if we were afforded more time we could have made something and brought it in or we could realize that actually we're not being salty the whole time we don't need that snack drink or whatever it might be I unfortunately that's I don't know how you're going to change that because we are where we are and you're not going to sort of stuff the genie back into the bottle but definitely with legislation there needs to be a bigger crackdown on these disposable products across the board there needs to be higher levies I mean look at what happened with that plastic bag tax Mm -hmm. you know it was incredible and it wasn't just because 
people wanted to save that 510p. It was because people genuinely believed that they didn't want to do that. I mean, I uh, there's been countless times where I've walked balancing everything on my arms, you know, with apples falling on the floor. It's and, that and meme the of the monkey carrying the eight oranges, but we've all done it being like, no, it's fine. I can carry all of exactly. these things. And, and that the, the willingness is there. Um, but there needs to be a bigger crackdown on on things so that we can so that we can afford to do it. And that's obviously all of that has to come in in line with making sure that we're not hurting those most affected by it. So making sure that we're not taking away from people who really do actually need easy, quick solutions because they can't afford to make their own food or they can't afford to do certain things. So we have to always make sure, likewise with our products, we can never say to everyone, right, we expect you to wash everything and do all this when people, you know, if they're living out on the streets, they quite literally don't have the facilities to do it. So there always has to be um, an understanding for those people who need help. But at the same time, I think there's so many people there who blindly go through life because we're just on a machine and we have to do it. Whereas if government came in and said, right, across the board on all these products, we're putting levies on them just to make you aware, first of all, that we don't think these are good. Suddenly you're going to get people waking up. You're going to get people alert and people understanding it rather than, you know, people like me with my company having to do endless sort of education campaigns to make people aware of this subject when actually it's pretty obvious from the get-go people fundamentally know it Hmm. um, and government could be doing so much more to make people aware. Yeah that's such a good point actually you know the plastic bag ban is like a huge PR and marketing campaign backed by the government um, and it's suddenly at the forefront of everyone's minds but to bring in that like payment levy whilst at the same time promising something which like you say could benefit people who aren't able um to who really do need convenience to bring in like that levy but not at the same time bring in the bottle buyback scheme um where people can earn some money for bringing their plastic bottles for example um back it just seems seems wrong and i think having that balance is definitely going to be most effective i mean the they promise the bottle a buyback scheme I think in 2018 so we shall wait and see yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of yeah I'm, I'm I'm mixed feelings on the bottle buyback scheme I was oh, really? those kind of things. well I don't know I, it, it remains to be seen it'll be interesting to see the result of it I'm always concerned that those things can encourage people to same as with the clothing when you go to the store you know if you come and bring this back we'll give you a voucher for more hmm. it's I don't know it can com- commercialize it so we'll see but I think anything government can do they have such huge power and like you said it was the plastic bag charge was such an interesting test case to see what happened and imagine if they did it across a whole swathe of products Mm. like it would mean that imagine if they did it to my product tomorrow you know so many people would suddenly start looking into reusables and start to see the value of reusables but um but it just takes you know a little bit of nudge from them yeah, completely. And so many people um, still say to me like, oh my gosh, I didn't realise there was plastic in period products or tea bags and all this. So there's still, yeah, there's still that education gap out there. Um, and as we've already touched on, I think at the start of our chat, period plastic, lots of, it's kind of one of those things that's supposed to be kept 
away and, you know, don't talk about periods. And lots of people, um, men in particular, may think that it doesn't affect them. But there's almost five pieces of period plastic per 100 metres on UK beaches, isn't there? So this isn't just about recycling or plastic use. It's about environmental pollution as well, which affects all of us. Oh my God, it's huge. And, you know, remember, these things touch blood, so they can't be recycled. Mm. So these are hands down going to landfill at best or the ocean or your beaches at worst. And if you think it doesn't affect you, you know, it's half the global population. Mm. It's going to affect you somehow. Um, and that's the difficult thing which we have with this topic is it's not, you know, going back to these plastic bags. It's not something that people openly see. You're not walking down the street with it. People can't see it. Um, it's hidden, it's physically hidden, and it's also hidden in the conversation. So it's an incredibly difficult thing to unravel, but it's such a fundamental, important thing to unravel. And it's something which has to be dealt with, with the male population as well, mm. because without that, we're not going to get anywhere. And it's incredible to see the increasing amount of men who are engaging in this topic, who are understanding it, who um, are supporting it as well. My co-founder is, is a guy, mm. but we have to make sure that guys are brought in on the conversation and brought in from a young age. And when I say that, I mean, get them into those PHSE lessons straight off the bat, start teaching kids about this from the age of five, when they come into school in age appropriate language. Because as soon as you do that and you start to get both sides of the sexes, understanding, accepting um, and, and getting to know the different types of anatomy and what happens, then you're going to get less of that shame attached to it. Then you're going to have more people who feel more confident in their body to explore using different products, who feel happy to go and, you know, handle their period blood to put their knickers in the wash. And this is the other thing, you know, we have such fantasies and fallacies that go on hmm. where people say, oh, um, so for my period pants, am I allowed to wash them with my other clothes? And you're like, of course you are. Like, what do you think is going to happen? But hmm. I get that because I used to be that way as well. But when you think about it logically, of course you can wash them with your other clothes. It's not like some monster is going to jump out and eat up you know, your yeah. socks. But, but because we don't talk about this, we have all these myths that are attached to it. And it's, mm -hmm. it's insane and it's so quick to, to take down. And, and we're not just talking about the environment. We're talking about lives. We're talking about the way people live their lives. And if people are living with embarrassment or shame or going down to it, living with no products at all, so they actually can't leave the house. So they're missing school. They're missing mm -hmm. work that's not the way that we should be living in the 21st century. We should, you know, we need to make sure that we can get everyone up to an equal status. And, and by keeping this as an embarrassing or shameful topic, it's really holding us back. Yeah, completely. With the last few minutes that um, I've got you, Celia, I wanted to ask the two questions that we always ask our guests. Um, do you have a plastic item that you are thankful for? It is a useful material, but we are just using it in the wrong way. Okay, single-use plastic. Um, so is there anything in your life that you're thankful for, for plastic? Do you know what? I, yeah, I'm glad you said that because I love plastic. I think it's <laughs> the most incredible material. It's strong, but lightweight. And if you treat it well, it's incredibly long lasting. Mm. The problem is we haven't venerated it. We haven't 
like held it up and lauded it for the incredible properties that it has because it's cheap mm-hmm. and because it's cheap to make it's been abused and I love plastic where you can get repetitive use out of it I you know I was looking I've got this plastic table and chairs for my kids which I used to use decades ago and my mum has kept and apart from like a few scribbles on it you know obviously where we've drawn and stuck stickers on it it's in perfect condition and that's been decades and it will go on for decades and hopefully my kids kids can use it and that's the thing is is it is an incredible material but we just need to use it better and so yes like there are so many things which I'm so grateful for for plastic I mean you've got the obvious ones like medical equipment which yes it is amazing but like but yeah plastic is is great but we just we're using it in the wrong way yeah completely and i love asking this question because i feel like hopefully in the future there'll be um like plastic free versions of all these things i think even ikea are starting to possibly in the future bring in a material that looks like plastic and um, for their plastic furniture but under the right conditions would biodegrade when it was done with so that'd be interesting to see whether kids kids chairs and tables of the future will be made from some kind of bioplastic like that um my final question for you celia is your environmental hero or your inspiration please oh that's a good question i think i think and this sounds like a cop-out but i promise you it's not this <laughs> is my one it's kind of the unsung heroes which i'm always really impressed with i know you can go and talk about you know the greats and the big ones of the sustainable ecosphere and where you can talk about the incredible people doing work on social media to to highlight them but they're not the people who you see on the side of the road picking up plastic just because or the people who do the uncool thing and speak out when they see someone being wasteful or or even just themselves don't bow down to kind of popular behavior and make sure that they go out of their way to do something a bit different. Those are the people who I find amazing because they're not being lauded. They're not given a YouTube channel or being paid masses for public speeches or books. You know, they're doing it naturally and they're doing what they feel is right. And in great numbers, they're the people who are making the difference. They're the people who mean that we are gonna have a better planet as a result of this you know they're doing action not just words and i think those are the kind of people every time i see them and it's you know it is the litter pickers it is those people doing those small acts you're like god well done you you're doing that not because anyone else can see you doing it you're doing it for yourself and i think that's awesome yeah amazing thank you so much for chatting to me celia pool co-founder of dame for the age of plastic podcast thanks so much for having me such an interesting point about the bottle buyback scheme, which I hadn't thought about. Does it just allow us to carry on with our habits? Love having these kind of discussions on the Age of Plastic podcast. We've also spoken to the brilliant End Plastic Periods campaigner, Ella Daesh. Here's a little snippet. They take 500 years to break down. That's seven times the average lifetime of the person using them. I'll link to the full episode in the show notes. And of course, if you want to try Dame for free, there is a giveaway currently. To the first 500 people to sign up for this giveaway, you will get two deliveries of 34 Dame organic tampons. That's 68 tampons in total. This is to the first 500 people to sign up before the end of this month. That is July 2022. Make sure you do it before the 31st of this month. This is open to UK residents only. All the details in the show notes. 
On to today's eco life hack. Once again, it requires the internet. The microfilters bill is in its second reading in the UK Parliament. You might remember we chatted to Dr Laura Foster, head of Clean Seas at the Marine Conservation Society, about ocean threads. This is all the little polyester bits of microplastic that come off of our clothes in the wash. This bill would require manufacturers to fit microplastic catching filters to new domestic and commercial washing machines. There's still time to let your MP know that you are concerned about this and that you want them to back it. Details in the show notes. Until next time, wash your hands, wash your recycling, I guess, and keep safe. I'll speak to you next time on the Age of Plastic podcast.